Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, April 30th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. As the first month of the 2021 season comes to a close, we've got a lot of great topics on the agenda for today. This is the Vlad Jr. we were promised. We'll dig into his fast start to this season. We've got the minor league season getting started on Tuesday, so we're going to talk about some level assignments that we already know about, talk about a few prospects that we're really excited to see as those games begin. But let's begin with Vlad Jr., Keith. He's walking more than he's striking out. He's hitting the ball in the air more than ever, trading grounders for fly balls and line drives. And by every measure, he's looking like the perennial 300 hitter with 30 plus home run power that a lot of us were expecting him to become. It took a little longer than maybe some of the projections models suggested and maybe a little longer than some prospect analysts thought, but it seems like it's all coming together for Vlad Jr. now. Yeah, completely agree. He needed to hit the ball in the air more. That was it. And I said, it's funny, he was, so for folks who haven't followed me for for very long, followed my work, but every year I do a column of I predict players who are likely to break out that season. And my track record is far better if you look at last year's list, right? I predict breakouts a year in advance. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not taking any credit for this. But he was one of my picks for last year. I'm like, this guy's just too good of a hitter, right? It's not – and I spoke to people at the Blue Jays who said, this isn't like a swing mechanics thing. We're not going to get him in the lab and start changing. He's very instinctive. He's got such good bat control, such good feel for the zone. He's just going to have to figure it out on his own. It was like, I thought going into last season, well, why not? Right? This guy's actually had, if anything, extra time to work on things at the plate. Coming off of a rookie season where it wasn't plate discipline, it wasn't approach. It was just he was putting the ball on the ground too much. And then he kind of kept doing the same thing last year. And now this year, you just look, the launch angle is better. Um, If you just look at the average or you look at the actual range of his launch angles, he's doing what he needed to do. He's putting the ball in the air. And then the power comes through and also the batting average comes through. So it's that he was hitting the ball extremely hard last year. That was the biggest reason I never gave up hope. He wasn't failing to make contact. He wasn't suddenly not hitting the ball hard. He is doing, uh, he continues to do those things now, but he's just getting hitting the ball at a, I mean, there's not a better way to say, or I keep saying angle, angle, but that's really what it is. It's the loft in his finishes back there. He is just getting under the ball just enough to hit line drives and some big fly balls. And that's what he needs to be, especially him, a player with no speed, right? He needs to be putting the ball in the air all the time. A ground ball is generally going to be a bad idea. He may hit the ball hard enough to get some extra ground ball hits, but you really want this guy hitting the ball in the air as much as possible. Absolutely. And I remember when Vlad Jr. debuted in 2019, there were some people out there saying that big league teams immediately were pitching him like a veteran. 
they weren't trying to find the holes you can often find in a young player. They were treating him like a typical middle-of-the-order run producer from the jump. Do you remember that being the case? Do you feel like big league teams sort of knew what to do or how to try and get him out right away? Yeah, I don't really remember that being true. Um, Nor do I think there was any book on how to get him out right away because he didn't get out much in the minors. You look at his track record in the minors, it was kind of a joke. This guy should have been in the big league sooner than he was. Remember the Blue Jays made some sort of weaselly, well, I don't see him as a major league player right now excuse. And rather than saying... You know, he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot more often than we'd like. You know, if they'd said that, we would have actually, it would have been much more plausible to keep him down, much more credible to keep him down a couple of extra weeks like they did. But they didn't. And that's probably because this none of this was a problem for him until he got to the big leagues. And then fairly quickly, I think it it became clear, well, there are certain ways you could kind of pitch to him. He was trying to essentially, hey, you want to hit the ball on the ground? Here you go. We're going to encourage you to do so because you're not hitting it in the seats. But I don't think that there was any, it's not like a lot of players who come up from the minors and we already kind of know a little bit from your player development guys. Hey, you saw Vlad Jr. in AAA. What what did we see when we faced him? Oh, you know, he can't hit pitch XYZ. That just wasn't true. He hit everything. I saw him in AA, not in AAA. There was no way to pitch to this guy until he got to the big leagues. And frankly, right now, there's not really a good way to pitch to him either. Yeah, his half season at Double A as a 19-year-old, I think it was, in 2018, he hit 402 with a 449 OBP and a 671 slugging percentage. I mean, that's just, that's stuff you don't see from any player at any age at any minor league level, but to see it from someone that young at that level, that will always kind of jump off the page to me as one of the better minor league lines that, frankly, we're ever going to see. And that's why he was great. He was my number two prospect going into 2019. I've always thought, he was going to be a star. I rated him very highly when he'd first signed. That said, he got a little overhyped because of the 402 average, because he was just clearly so much better than double A at such a young age. I'm not saying it's wrong and hey, it's good to get excited about these prospects. I encourage it. I live off of that. That is literally how I make my money is by getting excited about the good players and the minors and you know, sometimes pointing out that some of those players are maybe not quite what fans want them to be but okay but i really like the good ones but i think everyone kind of got ahead of themselves people were talking about an 80 hit tool and people were talking about he was the most advanced player to come out of the minors yada yada you know what they're not already on our time frame they, they're ready on their own time frame and vlad's ready now and i think what we're seeing right now is very very real and likely to continue, actually likely to continue as long as he keeps himself in shape. I don't think getting himself in shape made him a better hitter, but I think it's going to make him a lot more durable. And then we're going to see a lot more of this great hitting from him. Yeah, it seems like that would probably extend the peak for him as a hitter if he can maintain uh, that yes. improved physique you know, into his 30s as opposed to going the opposite direction, right? If he looks more like Pablo Sandoval when he turns 30, it's not going to be as graceful of a decline once we get to that phase of his career. Right. I mean, there's already, he probably already is a DH, right? He certainly can't play third base. And I'm glad to see the Blue Jays aren't trying to force that square peg into that round hole again. But he becomes a liability in terms of his projection to stay healthy, in terms of back problems, in terms of lower body, leg issues, knee problems, especially if he's carrying too much extra weight. He's never going to be svelte and he doesn't need to be but he needs to just maintain 
And I think where he is now, certainly through his 20s, is probably fine. He can stay around that weight. He, his metabolism will slow down. All of ours do have done already. <laughs> and so there will probably come a point where he has to work harder on that. And then it'll be up to him. And I'm not going to say he can or can't do it or will or won't do it. We don't know. But for now, at least, you know, I was definitely concerned six months ago, eight months ago, saying, I don't like where this body is going. And what's he going to look at, look like when he's 27, 28? And there's always a chance he regresses, right? He made all these great changes. It's hard. Ask anybody who's ever had to try to lose weight, maintain a lower weight. It is not easy. And just saying, well, he's a professional athlete doesn't make it easier. So, you know, I really respect that he did choose to go out and do this on his own. But I also recognize it's going to be a lot of work for him to maintain that even just, like I said, through the rest of his 20s. You know, right now, Vlad Jr.'s two years younger than Raphael Devers, but they're very similar to me just in terms of their body type and some of the things they do well. Obviously, Devers is a lefty, Vlad Jr. is a righty. Some differences, obviously, in that mm-hmm. aspect of them. But who do you think will age more gracefully of those two players? Because Devers is really doing a nice job bouncing back from his disappointing 2020. A lot went wrong for him last season. He looks a lot like the guy we saw during that 2019 breakout. And it's just interesting to me that it, it kind of took until that third season in Boston for Devers to start hitting some of the levels people were expecting from him. Yeah, I wonder if he's one of those guys where if last season had been 162 games instead of 60 games, we wouldn't think about it, right? He never had a chance to sort of let things even out, to regress to his own mean. Uh, But what we're seeing from him this year, with a much lower strikeout rate and the best walk rate so far since he first got to the big leagues, because he is, he's always been a very disciplined hitter for his age. So I think your question was, who do I think is going to age better? I like Devers' ability to hold value longer, maybe into his early 30s, let's say, than Vlad's. Because Devers, I think it's his body type is a little better. They're both like Vlad's, Vlad's actually a pretty good athlete for somebody with his body type. You, you tend to, you know, we often tend to confuse, oh, well, he's, you know, a heavier guy. David Wells. David Wells was not thin towards the end of his career. He was always a good athlete, always a very good athlete, a very good fielding pitcher. Vlad is kind of in that category. But I think just looking at their body types, I feel a little bit better about Devers being able to maintain it and hold value, and also the fact that he can play a skill position. So those guys just tend to age better as a class. If we're just looking at the whole base rate, guys who can play third base, even if they're just adequate, and I think he's kind of an average-ish third baseman, he won't be forever, but for now, he seems to be able to play an average or so defense at third base. If you're telling me two guys identical in every way, one is an average defender at third and one is an average defender at first, let's give Vlad the benefit of the doubt, I will bet on the third baseman, knowing nothing else, to maintain his value longer than the first baseman. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, the Red Sox are one of the surprising teams of the first month. There's a handful of them. The Royals are in first place in the AL Central. As we have this conversation, the Giants are tied with the Dodgers right now with a 16-9 and yes. record. Some of these None things, of this is real. Right. This is the bad place. <laughs> this is definitely the bad place. Uh, as you look at some early season performances, things like Vlad Jr. becoming this good and Devers bouncing back, those are not that surprising. Have you seen anything that's really caught you off guard, either from a team or a player, that has made you rethink your outlook for that team or for that player for the rest of 2021. It's interesting you mentioned the Giants because if you told me the Giants were going to race out to a 16-9 and start, 
I would say, oh God, Mike Yastrzemski, who I basically called a fourth outfielder at most and still basically stick to that. But after last year, a year and a half, so maybe this guy's a little bit better than I thought. You, know, you start to wonder as the sample size starts to grow. I stuck to the assessment, but wondered. Maybe I was wrong, but he's, I know he's on the injured list now, but he got off to kind of a lousy start. He wasn't part of that. They've had very little from Donovan Solano, who in his early 30s has suddenly become this really good hitter for average, kind of almost nonsensically. They're getting very little from Brandon Belt, who has generally been pretty good when he's been healthy. He's just been very infrequently healthy throughout his career. No, it's that Evan Longoria is out to the best start he's had in, I don't know, it's got to be a decade, right? And Buster Posey came back and he's, I know he's only played 16 games so far, but he's hitting like he's an MVP again. I don't think I really buy into the Giants as a contender. I think they're probably still going to finish below 500, but they are, I would certainly characterize them as the biggest surprise I've seen so far this year on a team level, especially because if you told me, like I said, I started to say at least, if you had told me they were going to get out to a good start like this, my first reaction would have been, oh, it's going to be the same guys who were behind their sort of you know, halting contention the last two years. Some of these guys, they've, they've done a really nice job of finding, you know, the Yastrzemskis and the Solanos and now Kevin Gossman, guys sort of picking guys up off the scrap heap and being able to get additional value out of them. Often, I think in a lot of cases, it's really just been a function of just letting them play. And I think they've also started to work on making some swing changes and some, uh, you know, with Gossman. Gossman's a great example where Buck Showalter was constantly trying to get uh, Gossman to pitch from the third base, extreme third base side of the rubber. And suddenly he wasn't online. He lost half the plate. Basically, he was too hard. He had to come way across his body to be able to get to his glove side. And if you look, I was just watching some clips from his last outing because uh, Alex Fast over at Pitcher List had done, has done a very extensive breakdown just of Gossman's pitches, not talking about where he is on the rubber. I actually think the rubber is a, a pretty big part of it. And you can see Gossman is kind of on the center of the rubber. And all of a sudden, now the whole plate is open to him again. He can pitch to the heart of the zone. He can pitch to both edges of the zone. And that's part of where the Giants have been, have, where they found some success with him. But I do find it interesting that they've had success in the win win column so far this year and hasn't come from all the same guys as last year um in terms of individual players i mean you know i did not see the urinator coming (laughs) i don't think i'm alone on that he kind of keeps going it's a really great story obviously he's like generally starting to drift down a little bit a little bit but you know him nick solak who, if anything if you'd said nick solak's gonna come gonna have a great year this year if he he was not on my breakouts list but if you'd said Nick Solak's going to have a breakout year, I'd say oh, he's going to hit for a really high average with some doubles. Now he's three doubles and seven homers so far. Definitely did not see that coming. I know people in the industry, including people with the Rays, with used to play, um, who thought if he said, you know, we don't know where he's going to play necessarily, and it's not an on-base or power guy, but this kid can really hit. I wonder if that's a, that's what we're just seeing. And okay, maybe it's not. He's not going to end up with twenty-five homers. But maybe he's going to end up hitting for high average and some of those doubles will show up. Maybe this is a case of scouts and some analysts just really believing in a hit tool and he's 26 now and he's getting the chance to play regularly and maybe that's starting to come through. I actually feel like I'd buy that a little bit more than Yerman Mercedes continuing to hit like he's, 
I don't know, Johnny Bench plus Bill Dickey. <laughs> it's hard to believe that there's a, a worse defender or at least a comparably bad defender to Yermin Mercedes. And I, I don't know if there is. Solak is a bad defender, but they're still mm-hmm. a pretty big level. At least with Solak, you can throw him out there at second base and with shifting, maybe mask a lot of the flaws with Mercedes. Mm-hmm. I've seen the White Sox throw him out there at first base at least once. I don't even know if he's going to get a dozen games at first base over the course of the year when Abreu needs just a a breather a day as the DH. I don't think they trust him at all with the glove. No, I'd rather at that point, they probably would be better off putting, letting Andrew Vaughn play some first base. They're barely playing Andrew Vaughn at this point. He's a better first baseman. Probably might be a better first baseman than anyone else on the currently on the roster. If at least as long as he gets some reps out there, but I also don't know if you want to let Andrew Vaughn work his way into being a big league regular at first, playing it you know once a week. Yeah, that's a, a pretty unusual development choice for sure. Uh, the Royals' fast start is a bit surprising to me, Keith. I mean, I I'd, I like some of the things they're doing as an organization. I think they were more of a punching bag than they probably deserve to be in recent years, and they've had some success with pitching in ways that I really didn't see coming. Brad Keller is a good example of this. Brady Singer at least has pedigree. He was an 18th overall pick back in 2018. Mm -hmm. It seems like they get by with a lot of two-pitch starters, especially. Yeah. Are you skeptical of how they're doing it, even though that is clearly an improved team and one that will get even more of a lift offensively? Eventually, Edelberto Mondesi rejoins that lineup. Maybe later this summer, we see Bobby Witt Jr. up there too. Like I'm buying into some of the changes offensively because they do have more pieces there, but I'm still very skeptical of the Royals pitching. I am too, although there's pitching coming, right? At some point, so you know, Brady Singer still doesn't really have a third pitch for lefties and he's gotten by this year. Lefties have a really low BABIP against him, but that's obviously not going to last. He does not have the weapon that he needs to get lefties out consistently and that's going to show up. Danny Duffy has a .39 ERA. He, of course, nobody has the peripherals to support that. But he's not even pitching close to that level, obviously. And I like Danny Duffy. He's always been kind of a guy you thought maybe could give you a little bit more than what he's given you so far. And so I would love to see Duffy continue to stay healthy and have a really good year. But obviously, he's going to come back to earth some. But that said, Daniel Lynch, their best prospect, in my opinion, their best prospect. Other people say he's their second best prospect behind Witt. Daniel Lynch is going to show up and join this rotation at some point this year. Jackson Kowar is probably going to show up in the rotation at some point this year. They have these guys coming. They have pitching coming. And so that rotation by the end of the year probably won't look the way that it does right now. And that's part of why I'm more bullish on them for the long term. The hot start to me looks probably not sustainable with the current roster that they have, but the roster is going to change and they are going to have better pitching. And they have more, I would say, more interesting pitching guys who are going to come up and really be parts of this rotation for the next five, six years. The other team that I think I'm skeptical of that is currently now atop a division, the Oakland A's. What a horrible start. What an amazing <laughs> rebound. Like The most exciting path you can take to 15 and 10 through 25 games. There are a lot of A's teams that we've looked at over the years and said, how exactly are they doing this? And this roster, in many ways, is a typical A's roster. Is there anything about this group that gives you confidence that they can actually hang around all season and contend with the Astros and the Angels, who I still think are the two best teams in this division by a pretty decent margin? Yeah, I have a hard time lining up what the A's have done with what's on their roster. They're in the bullpen. I think they've done a pretty nice job assembling a really interesting 
um, and competitive bullpen other than Sergio Ramos, obviously been kind of awful and not missing bats. And it's a little scary, especially given his age. But um, yeah, it's just hard to see how they are doing this with a team OBP that's barely over 300 and a couple of guys who are probably not going to continue to, uh, who are either you know going to stay down near that level or guys who are going to struggle to you know, keep, you know, is Mark Canna going to post a 400 on base percentage here? Of course he's not. Now, that said, Matt Chapman is off to, I mean, that might be the worst first 100 plate appearances he's had in a major league season. I should check. I could check that at some point. Maybe that's not true, but I don't remember him getting off to a start this bad, where he's punching out a third of the time and not doing much when he does make contact. Matt Chapman's a lot better player than that. So they've got some, you know, whenever a team gets off to a hot start too, one thing I just try to eyeball is, you know, hey, all right, who's overperforming? Well, when those guys come back to earth, and they nearly always do, will that be balanced out by players who we know are better than what they've shown us so far? Now, I think in the A's case, if you the the pile of guys who are overperforming a little bit, I think is a little bigger than the guys who are underperforming and who will continue to improve because it's really more than anyone else that's Chapman. Chapman, if they're the guys currently in their lineup, he's the one guy who. He's a lot better than what he's shown us so far. Yeah, I think the the guy that surprised me the most on an individual level, though, in Oakland is Matt Olson because I thought I had him figured out as a, a guy that was going to strike out at least 25% of the time. He'd take his walks, and he'd be kind of your prototypical 240, 250 mashing first baseman with 30 home run power in a good year. He's cut the K rate down early, under 20%, 17.6% so far. Are you buying into that from Matt Olson? No, um, I think this is above what his peak ability is, particularly in terms of his ability to it just hit for average. Um, the power is definitely there, and he's always been very patient, even in his bad years in the minors, uh, worse years in the minors. He was always extremely patient. I think he's more like what you saw from him two years ago. He's peak metal, actual peak metal, right? Two sixty-seven average, three fifty-one on base percentage, which is honestly really good for that kind of player. 545 slug, 36 homers, obviously in that ballpark. That does not help his home run totals. That's more, even more impressive. You know, could he do that? Could he be a 250, 350, 540 type of hitter? Yeah, absolutely. Right now he's a 296, 363, 580. I would bet the under on that. And it's because of the batting average. I don't think it's, it's not, he's actually not walking as often as he has done in the past. And the power is right about where you'd expect it to be. It's I just don't think he's going to continue to hit for this high of an average. I don't think he's going to continue to make contact at this high of a rate. And again, I'm just going more than anything else off track record. He's just not really done this before. And generally, when a guy has multiple years where he's established a particular skill level, and then in 22 games, which is a tiny sample, it looks, oh, there's a new skill level here. There's got to be a real reason for me to assume, you know, the... Trevor Rogers, I think, feel like you and I talked about this at some point. Trevor Rogers establishing a new level for himself, much better than what he did in the minors. He's got a new pitch. He's got an entirely new pitch. That's a reason that explains why what we see in a small sample might turn out to be real. It's essentially combining the scouting take with what we're seeing in the data. In Olsen's case, I don't know that there's a reason we would think he's suddenly going to strike out a lot less, but he can also still be a pretty good player without maintaining his contact rate as high as it is right now. Yeah, I wish there was an apples-to-apples sort of comparison for hitters and pitchers for something you could look at that you could see in the data that says this hitter is definitely different in a a small sample. I just don't think it really exists. The thing that stands out to me as being different with Olsen, and I'm curious to see how this adjustment plays out in the months ahead, he's swinging more overall. He's got a 48.5% swing rate, easily a career high. So he's a little more aggressive. And since he's a guy that has shown the ability to draw walks in the past, 
I'm wondering if opposing pitchers can just adjust back, pitch him differently, and kind of take advantage of his more aggressive approach, right? If they can't counteract that adjustment that he's made, maybe there's a little more here that can be sustained because he's not putting himself in, you know, in, in bad counts. Maybe that was part of the problem with Olsen in the past. Yeah, he was very patient to the point of being – people thought he was passive. And he did have the, he had the big breakout year as a prospect. He made my top 100 off that. His following year, he was still still in the minors. And he walked a lot. He struck out a lot. But he didn't really do enough else other than those two things. It's, oh, God, is this you know a Jeremy Hermita type where he's just too passive, right? He's too comfortable getting deep into counts, doesn't take advantage when he's ahead, falls behind too quickly, has a hard time recovering once he does fall behind. Olsen, to his credit – He's not that type of hitter. I certainly thought he was that type of hitter after that second, so the, the down year after the breakout year when he was still a prospect. This is I'm going back like six, seven years now. And he's not that type of player. It will be interesting to see uh, because he was still on the you, patient to the point of almost passive, but not obviously not entirely passive because he was able to have success. Now it seems like he's gone to the other end of disciplined he's maybe you would even say he's not that patient this year in 22 games right it's a tiny sample is this an actual change in approach is this how he's going to be the rest of the year can he be a successful player if he's being this aggressive knowing that he has had a tendency to swing and miss in the past that's an excellent question i don't know the answer to that because we haven't seen any matt olson being this aggressive before swinging this often we've seen matt olson strike out a lot but we have never seen him swing this off, and I think swinging earlier in counts than he typically has, either in the majors or the minors. Yeah, we'll see if Matt Olson 2.0 is a mirage or if it's actually a real adjustment that he's made, because it's exciting if it's a real adjustment, but I think it is uh, too early to make that call. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As I mentioned earlier, minor league season begins on Tuesday, May 4th, and we're very excited to see prospects playing again because we just have this gap in 2020, this missing information. It's making it very hard to analyze players. Mm-hmm. The You're telling me. The guy we were watching earlier today, Shane McClanahan, was making his regular season debut for the Rays. He's the first pitcher in big league history to debut in the World Series before actually debuting in the regular season. So file that one away for future trivia. Mm-hmm. McClanahan looked ridiculous. It was 101 with movement on the fastball. It was a slider at 92 to 93. It was a, like a split change that he was throwing in there too. A curveball. I mean, four pitches and he was locating them well and everything moved and everything was moving in different directions, which made me wonder, Do does Shane McClanahan somehow have this 
ridiculously high ceiling that people had previously overlooked? Or is this just Shane McClanahan having a fantastic day with good stuff and a shaky command profile? Yeah, if he... It, it is his delivery arm slot, some history of minor health stuff have all had... Going back to the draft, right? He had a... T- it, this isn't that different than who he was in the draft. Right? He was. I saw him hit 99, and he's always been left-handed. So yeah, the secondary stuff has gotten better, but kind of ex- better in a way you could sort of have expected. Um, and the fastball's always been the calling card for him. Why didn't he go in the top 10 in his draft? Well, there were small concerns about his health and about his, his arm health and about his ability to hold up as a potential starter. A lot of people thought there was a lot of reliever risk. There kind of still is. And I think if you watch him pitch, you can see that there's some reliever risk there. He is a absolutely a prospect. I've thought all along you could say his floor, assuming he doesn't break down, his floor is a very, very high impact reliever. Where that stuff, I mean, what did he throw? Four innings today? I just pulled up the box score. Uh, he was relieved by Patino. So, you know, good luck, Oakland. No rest <laughs> for that. They actually have two runs today, so good for them. Um, that... You know, imagine McClanahan rolling out of the bullpen for two innings with that stuff, what you just described. I mean, it was upper 90s, bumping triple digits, and it looked like it was moving about six inches to his arm side. I mean, that is the two-seamer from hell. That's going to work in pretty much any role. And if he can't hold up in a starter's role or if he never quite has enough command to be a starter, then he'll be elite out of the bullpen. Um you know, to me, I, if you're asking me to bet money on what I think his ultimate role is, I feel like it's more like that or some kind of, you know, it's the race. They could find a more creative way to maybe get 110 innings out of him rather than 75. But it'll be something like that. That That's what I feel better about. Given the delivery, the arm slot, there have been some little hiccups uh, with his arm along the way that I think all just sort of generally just sort of nudge you in the direction of reliever rather than starter. I don't think he's sort of a dead reliever all the way. I just think if we're playing the odds a little bit here, there are not many Chris Sales in the world who have sort of unusual deliveries like that that manage to, in Sales' case, not just hold up as a starter, but become a ridiculously effective one. I'm kind of surprised it took organizations this long to come to the realization that you don't have to choose between 170 innings and 70 innings for a role. I mean, if you give a pitcher extra reps, you give them that previous Ryan Yarbrough role, and additional development occurs, you actually could develop a starter a little bit later in a player's career than if you just gave up and said, nope, it's only 70. Right? If you get down to two pitches and just leave a guy in the pen and never try to push him for longer outings, you're kind of capping a player's ceiling in terms of development. So as I look at the Rays this year, the big question for me as I try to figure out what the innings look like is, how many guys are going to be up and down? Like, is McClanahan an up and down guy this year because he's young and he's got options and they're trying to manage his innings? Is the same true of Patino? Or are they going to tandem start them frequently like they did on Thursday? If they're going to tandem start those guys all season and you're getting maybe four innings from each of them every fifth day, that kind of works. That could be a really successful mm-hmm. way to, to manage it as long as they've got enough guys with options in the pen to go up and down for those short relief roles. Yes. And to answer what I think is kind of the more immediate question you were asking. I, I, I think somebody asked me this on Twitter just, just before we started, actually. Do I think McClanahan's up all year? Okay, maybe they'll option him after today's game specifically. They'll play a little bit of a roster game. But I have, I, I think at the end of the 
uh, by the end of the season, McClanahan's one of the 11 best pitching options for the major league roster right now in the organization. So he should spend most of the year with the big league club in some role. What exactly that role is, they'll figure it out as they go. And I have a little more faith in the Rays to do that than I would in some organizations. But I think with what you saw today where it wasn't great commandity, certainly through strikes, and the fastball is obviously going to play, whether it's four innings or six or two, he's going to be able to have quite a bit of success, I think, with that pitch alone. They do not have 11 or 12 better pitchers right now to keep on the major league staff. And so somewhere, some way, he's got to throw, well, what, we're practically in May? He's got to throw 60, 70 innings for them in the big league club the rest of the season. And I'm accounting for him possibly going up and down, you know, say once or twice more. Yeah, and getting some innings while he's down, too, to keep that workload up. I mean, very impressive outing, to say the least. And I'd be stunned if they thought they had 10 other pitchers better than him on that roster. There's no way they think that. Uh, Wander Franco, by the way, will start at AAA this season. We kind of figured upper levels. That's according to Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times. Keith, how long do you think Wander's actually going to be there? Can he show in the span of two weeks that he's absolutely ready and enforce the issue that quickly? Or do you think we're going to go through the song and dance where the Rays want to wait it out and, and try and preserve a little bit of extra cost savings by waiting it out and hoping that he doesn't qualify as a Super 2? Yeah, um, they could use him. You pointed out before the fact that we didn't have a minor league season last year, so we lost all of this data. We lost all of this performance information to give us a sense of, hey, how ready is Wander Franco? Uh, I think we talked about him last week, actually. And it's, you know, if he'd gone to double A, even for if we'd had 60 games of double A last year and he'd gone to double A, we'd say, oh, OK, well, here's a much better sense of exactly how ready he is. And as much as I think, hey, Franco's the best prospect in the minors, he's really advanced as a hitter. He barely strikes out. He's barely struck out all the way up through high A. It's high A. We don't really know, right? Plenty of guys, we took, go back to Vlad Jr., who did nothing wrong all the way up through AAA in the minors. He never struggled. And then had two seasons, 19 and the truncated 20 season, where he did not play up to expectations in the big leagues. And obviously, he's going to be fine in the long term, but could that happen to Franco? Well, I feel like I have even less confidence in Franco's ability to produce right out of the chute, even though I think they, they probably should just call him up. They have less confidence in him than I would have in Vlad, that I did have in Vlad the moment that they called him up. And so if the Rays were saying, hey, we, we love Franco, we even internally recognize he's probably the best option for us at shortstop right now, we also have no idea how well he's going to do right out of the shoot. We love him in the long term, but the fact that we've never seen him perform or even have the opportunity to perform above high A is concerning. It just has to reduce your confidence in any kind of prediction, projection, whatever you want to call it, and what that guy's going to give you for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think we're going to learn a lot quickly about where he's at in terms of his development once we get these games uh, in the books at the AAA level. Uh, let's talk about Pedro Leon for a moment. Uh, Jim Callis, who you had on your podcast earlier this week, uh, reporting that Pedro Leon is headed to AA. The interesting thing that Jim had in his write-up is that the Astros are planning on playing Leon a lot more at shortstop than in center field, which... Makes me wonder if they see him more as a 2022 guy than a late 2021 addition to the roster. I thought when George Springer left in free agency, they would do something more than what they did to replace him. And maybe they struck out trying to get Jackie Bradley Jr. I don't know for sure. But 
Leon seems like the kind of guy that could have filled that void. Does the fact that he's playing a lot at shortstop in the minors to start the year make you think those plans might be on hold? Yes. Um, I was. I know he'd been working all over the infield. Um, I actually just pulled this up to make sure who I had who said it right. Jay Kaplan tweeted almost two months ago that um, he was, you know, Leon had said he played all over the infield when he was younger. But I assumed that this was a let's mess around a little bit in spring training, right? What's the harm? Let's just have him try a bunch of positions and see how it looks. The idea that now they're going to run him out there as a shortstop. I mean, I don't know. This kid's supposed to have some of the best pure tools of anyone in the minors, right? It's huge speed. It's huge power. It's great body. We've never actually seen him play. He played a year and a half in Cuba's Serie Nacional, and that was a couple of years ago, and that's it. So... I, on the one hand, if this kid actually can play shortstop, he might suddenly be a top 10 prospect in all of baseball. On the other hand, we don't even really know if he can hit, right? (laughs) We've just not seen him. He's, to me, he and Jason Dominguez are the two most interesting guys in the minors to see this year, right? Because they've never played. Um, I mean, certainly for me, right? You give me a private jet, Keith, what two players do you want to go see right out of the chute? It's those two. And uh, for the same reason, right? We've never seen them live never seen him actually in game action i should say real games that count in the united states and they're supposed to have superstar tools both of them different tools but both of them supposed to have that kind of tools i mean i know people who thought dominguez could have ended up a premium catcher uh, if they'd wanted to if he'd wanted to and if you were willing to maybe take the risk with the bat Um, so like i'm fascinated I also look at this and have to, you have to acknowledge too, you're taking a guy who I believe has only played outfield in Cuba and now you're moving him to shortstop. You are deaf. And by the way, starting him at double A, which is good, but maybe a little aggressive. Are you adding the risk? Are you adding to the overall risk here as he tries to get used to playing in a new country and get used to a much higher level of competition than he's seen before? I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe he's just that talented. Maybe he's Fernando Tatis Jr. And he can handle the huge jump and the position switch and all of that, and he's going to be just fine. I mean, it's it, if anything, it makes me think, wow, Astros must really like this kid. Like, maybe maybe I should really like this kid. Obviously, I'll go see him. But, you know, it just makes you think, wow, that's a – if they really think he can do this, he might be really special. Or this is the worst decision they've made in 10 years. I don't know. You take a pick. Well, I'm also wondering how much geography plays into this. I mean, with all the minor league realignment, double A is in Corpus Christi, high A is in Asheville, right? So if you send him to Asheville, he's far away from your big league coaches. That might not be ideal. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And Asheville's a crazy hitter spark, too. Not an ideal. Colorado's had a lot of trouble developing. They've had trouble developing players, right? Because in their old system, they're of their five main affiliates. Um, I'm forgetting what, whoever they had in the Northwest League. So of their six, right? Two short season, four full season. Four of them were extreme hitters parks. They were in Asheville, Grand Junction, Lancaster, Albuquerque. That's just bad. It's bad for developing hitters. It's not on the Rockies. This is just another disadvantage the Rockies have had to deal with. And if you're Houston, do you want to send him to Asheville and maybe he gets into some bad habits as a hitter? Or maybe you challenge him a little bit with Corpus Christi. He's right there close to you and it's a bit more of a neutral environment. I could see that argument very easily for being more aggressive to say, no, we don't want to start this guy in too good of a hitter's environment. Yeah, I think the the reference to that Rocky situation just made me think of Ian Stewart as a prospect that probably deked a lot of people who didn't know about the park factors at, at Asheville, I think at the time was where he popped a 30 home run season in the minors and skewed a lot of people's perception of what he was going to be uh, as a hitter someday. Uh, the Blue Jays announced a bunch of assignments. Uh, Shy Davidia Sportsnet had a several of these. Alec Manoa going to AAA Buffalo to start the year. Of course, he was drafted in 2019, so we didn't see a lot of him the year that he was drafted. Didn't pitch in 2020 because no one pitched in the minors in 2020. It's a pretty aggressive placement for him, Keith. So what are your expectations for Manoa with that assignment? I love it. I'm a huge fan. I thought he was the best pitching prospect in that draft class, uh, best college pitcher at least. They got him as the best overall pitching prospect in the class, uh, even above Nick Lodolo, who was drafted higher. Uh, I think Manoa, he's a four-pitch guy. He's got command. His stuff has even gotten a little bit better since he was drafted. Honestly, the only concerns people really had legitimate, not legitimate or otherwise, were he's a very big guy. I think he, he's listed at like 260 or so, and he might actually be bigger than that. And he would only pitch out of the stretch in college. And I've just not never really seen that as a huge impediment. Um, you know, it's not typical, but that doesn't make something automatically bad. And Manoa was electric in spring training. And it sounds like that's what he's looked like in they're in the at the alternate site for them too. So why not be aggressive and try to set him up to get to the majors for you as quickly as possible this year? So I love it. I mean, he's a he. We we sort of have lost track of some of these college guys who might have even been up last year, but he is coming up on two years after he was drafted. He was drafted about twenty three months ago. The best college guys are typically in the majors around that point or just getting to the majors around that point. He didn't have the year last year. But in the case of pitchers, and this would probably be true of Lodolo too, and I'm, I'm not sure offhand other college pitchers from that draft class, but any of the elite college pitchers, the first round or high high draft pick college pitchers from two years ago, they should all be in line for call-ups to the majors now if they're healthy. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Austin Martin, also among the prospects we know, is going to double A this year, which that 
lines up kind of with the expectations that were were set for him last year when the Jays took him as the fifth overall pick. How quick do you think Austin Martin could be to the big leagues? Because they don't necessarily have a spot that he can call his own right away, but I wonder if he's just a good enough hitter where they can kind of force the issue and say, hey, we're going to make someone else a, a super utility player to accommodate him if he comes up and hits right away at double A. They don't really have a third baseman, right? That's That would be the ultimate way to get him to the big leagues now is if he goes out, destroys you know, double A, triple A moves quickly. He never rarely struck out in college. And as long as he's throwing better, the last time we actually saw him in games before the shutdown, he was having some issues throwing. Blue Jays have insisted that that's completely behind him and he's looked fine. And he was, I thought, potentially a plus to better defender at third too. He's quick. He's athletic. His hands are good. And when I saw him in 2019, he threw great. I had no concerns whatsoever with his arm. So that is the path where they don't have a guy there. Um, his bat looked like it wasn't very far away. He did perform in the SEC, the best conference in college baseball. He just lost development time. You know, if, if he played all of last year, he probably, uh, all of last summer, he probably would have finished in low A for them. If we'd had a regular start to this minor league season, he would have started in high A, double A, and we'd have data. We would know if all of this, all the stuff I just said about how good a hitter he is and how advanced he is, we'd know if that was true. And instead, you just have to take my word for it. But I really, I, I really believed in this guy. I thought he was the best prospect in the draft class, and and I thought the Blue Jays got a great deal at five to get him. And I think he could move quickly. It's my only real question is just sort of where is he in terms of does he need at bats? A lot of guys are just going to get to the big leagues because without getting the at bats, they would have typically gotten in the minors on the way. Most guys need those at bats. A few are just so good that they don't. I don't know which Camp Martin is in. Yeah, I think. Jordan Groshans might be more in the needs the time camp, comparatively speaking. I mean, a, a lot younger uh, than Austin Martin, too, right? Yes. Yep. So and he's barely played. Yeah. He got hurt mid-May, early May, two years ago. He got off this great start in low A, got hurt, ended his season. Oh, okay, fine. He'll come back. He'll play. He'll be ready to go in 2020. 2020 doesn't happen. So who knows where he is, unfortunately. Still light, still still a prospect, still like him, but that's just a lot of time missed. Now, if you're a Jays fan and you don't want to be too nervous, Akil Badu missed basically about the same amount of time and then jumped to the big leagues, and he's been okay. So obviously guys, there are plenty of guys who can miss that time. Might sit Groshan's timetable back a little bit, but obviously we have plenty of examples of guys who've missed that much time and have come back and been fine. Like it does not hurt his prospect status, I think it just pushes Groshan's timetable back a little bit. Yeah, and Groshan's assignment also double A, so he'll be a teammate of Austin Martin in New Hampshire as 2021 gets underway. Uh, one more prospect I wanted to ask you about is Logan Gilbert, because the Mariners just placed Marco Gonzalez on the IL with a forearm injury. For now, they're trying to suggest that it's not a big deal for Gonzalez, but Gilbert is close to big league ready anyway, so what do you make of, of Gilbert and do you think he is truly a viable option for that rotation right now? Yeah, I thought he was pretty much big league ready or very close to it, even coming out of two years ago. Guys who saw him a little bit last year said, yep, absolutely. Um, he was He's basically really close to big league ready. Now, the only question is, can he go right into a rotation spot right now or do you call him up as a 
long reliever, put him in the bullpen, tandem starter, because you're trying to slow play his innings a little bit. But uh, I guess you could say some of the same stuff with Manoa, too. But, you know, to me, Gilbert probably, you, he probably should be coming up now. Now that there's an actual opening, whether he goes directly into the rotation or there's some kind of tandem thing, or, they'll have a plan to manage his innings, but he should probably be up pretty soon. Because And also, he's a guy where... I don't think there's a whole lot left for him to learn in the minors. He will probably develop better if he's coming up and facing major league hitters. Even if they're hitting him around a little bit, it'll force him to make some adjustments that if you send this guy to AAA, it's not going to hurt him, but I don't think he's got a whole lot left to learn facing minor league hitters. Yeah, and I think the workload we saw from him in 2019 makes me somewhat optimistic about Seattle using him like a normal starter when they call him up. If they have to shut him down, in September, no big deal. They're not going to the playoffs this year anyway, right? So it's not it's not the same workload management concern that you have if you're the White Sox with Michael Kopech or the Rays with some of the arms we talked about where they have aspirations of playing into October. That, I think, makes it easier to just say, what is best for this guy? Because you're not also worried about what is best for us winning as many games as possible in 2021. Right. If you shut him down on Labor Day and say, now he's had enough innings for the season, I don't think anyone's going to blink, right? They're not likely at all to make the playoffs, and their fans aren't expecting them to make the playoffs. And I think their fans are pretty, you know, Mariners fans right now are feeling as good about the system as they have in a long time. So they're, these are fans who, uh, the subset of fans that I, from which I hear at least, they're buying in. And they'll say, nope, that's good. That sets us up better for next year. You know, they're, they're more eager, I would say, even to get Kalanick up than to get Gilbert up at this point. But hopefully by the time we get to, say, June 1st, they're both up. And Gilbert's on, hopefully at that point, stretched out enough to be able to make, even if it's just some twice through the order starts for them. And Kalanick is playing regularly. I think Mariners fans will be fine if those guys are up and play most of the summer. If they turn around and say, okay, Gilbert, we got to shut Gilbert down because he's thrown too many innings. Fine. It's all part of the plan. The other guy that's kind of interesting in Seattle is George Kirby because workload-wise, you know, it's like Manoa. He didn't throw that much after he was drafted in 2019, but I don't think he's that far behind Gilbert, Keith. No, if he's throwing 100, 101, something like that with, with uh, you know, he's always had a really good breaking ball. And I mean, one of the concerns was that the fastball was playing a little down from its velocity. Well, even if that's still true, it's different playing down from 100 is different from playing down from 94, 95. So yeah, I don't think Kirby is that far behind either. What was he? He was another 19 draft. So, you know, put him in the bucket with Manoa and Lodolo, guys who would otherwise have been ready. They would have pitched a full year last year and they would be, they would have come up in September or have been ready to knock on the door of a major league rotation this spring. And uh, I think, especially given the fact that we've heard pretty substantively that he's changed for the better makes him me feel a little bit more confident in them if they choose to fast track him at some point they just have the luxury if they can say now he's behind gilbert gilbert comes up first and then kirby yeah i think that definitely makes a lot of sense just based on what we've seen from them and been able to see from those guys in the minors to this point we got to go. Before we go, I should let you know you can sign up for The Athletic at $3.99 a month. You can get all of Keith's articles, all the great baseball coverage we have on the site. Theathletic.com slash baseball show is the best way to get that. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave us a rating and review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did that. If you got a friend that would enjoy the show, tell them about us. We're new. We'd still love to pick up a lot of new listeners if we can. You can hear more of Keith on The Keith Law Show. This week, Keith talked to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline to discuss the 2021 draft class, so be sure to check that 
that out. You can hear me on Rates and Barrels and the Athletics Fantasy Baseball Podcast on Twitter. He's at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend.